This is the Life Truth Network. Well, guys, summer and the summer season of Life Truth Presents is going to present a little bit of a different atmosphere. Uh, I say different than most shows. Um, this is probably not that much different than a lot of the shows you've heard me do. Because sometimes when you record, you just have to record when you get the chance. And I can't record in my, at my usual setup with my headsets and everything like that because the kids are up, the wife's up, everybody's home. It's just not conducive to a good recording, but it's conducive to good family time and, and you know, stuff like that. So the summer season is going to be me. Uh, recording uh, when I get the chance, like before work, uh, in my work's parking lot of all places. But so I mean, you might hear some background noise, you might hear something, but but I want to keep getting the show out there. You know, the show. Well, here's the intro. You'll know once you hear it. Welcome to Life Truth Presents. A clean fiction podcast. If it's clean fiction, it's fair game. My goal is to come alongside Clean Fiction Magazine over at cleanfictionmagazine.com. They sell their quarterly publications on Amazon. If it's not the type of thing covered in CFM, I want it to be here. That gives you, the listener, access to even more clean fiction. You could even hear interviews, game reviews, featured audio drama reviews, and some of the dramas themselves. I want this to be big. Welcome to Life Truth Presents, a clean fiction podcast. Today we get to listen to an old X-1 episode with a bit of a lesson for us all. We also interview a man who takes clean fiction to a whole new level. Yes, that was a pun, and yes, he's a game designer. Plus, we take a brief look at today's nonfiction offering and hear Andrew Rappaport of Striving for Eternity share why Jesus Christ had to be God. But before all this, I'd like to take a moment and just share a little bit of news with you from the audio drama world, namely from the world of Life Truth Network. Though he did not want to, Michael Prince of Stronghold and Dangerous Christian Audio Dramas had to step down, but we've already got a replacement. Uh, Clayton Caldwell, the creator of the character Blackwater, uh, and also he already plays Jenkins in the uh, Stronghold drama. He will be taking over the role of Aqualife in Stronghold. And Dan Christian, that's right, Dan Christian in Dangerous Christian. So we'll have a new Dan Christian, a new main actor, but we will attempt to keep the same quality, Lord help us, improve it even if, if we can. But we're going strong. Uh, as I go, I'm learning how to do things, how to prioritize, how to make things work. So let's see what happens in the next few episodes when the dramas come out. Let's pray that God uses it for good things. 
Clean Fiction Magazine gets much of its funding, not just from subscriptions or issue purchases, but from advertisements. Right now, you can advertise with us for $5 off. Just go to sunsetvalleycreations.com slash pricing guide or select pricing guide from the menu at cleanfictionmagazine.com homepage. When contacting us via the form on that page, be sure to mention the code CALDWELL, C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L, for $5 off your ad purchase. We take submissions. If it's clean fiction, such as books or audio dramas, that is more geared toward adults, then submit it at sunsetvalleycreations.com slash submissions. There you can request a review for free or submit a poem, and if it's accepted and we decide to run it, we pay you. If this sounds complicated, you can find all this at cleanfictionmagazine.com just by following the prompts. So once you go to cleanfictionmagazine.com, find what you're looking for, and hit the menus and follow the menus. However, what if your fiction is geared towards kids? What if it's a game instead of a drama or a book? Then you can submit that to this podcast by going to life-truth.com slash submission. Today our feature is also our classic, so sit back and enjoy. Target One by X-1. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of a future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one Tonight, Target One. Now, X minus one, and tonight's story, Target One. Headquarters of the World Council was in the ruined United Nations building in New York. It took me an hour to reach it, picking my way across the red-colored rubble that had once been a proud city. I was ushered into the office of the president of the council, a former Russian scientist named Melkov. It was hard to realize that only a few decades ago, these people had helped us destroy the world in an atomic war that left less than 100,000 people on the face of the globe. Come in. Dr. Marin. Yes. 
Good to see you, Doctor. Sorry I'm two days late. I had to land at Boston. It's the only airport operating. I understand. Don't you sit down? Thank you. I uh, suppose you are wondering what this is all about. Very little surprises me, Mr. President. Good. As you know, Doctor, the Great War of 1960 left very little of the human race. What it did leave? Well, two billion corpses, three continents rotting and unlivable, and every survivor mutating. I believe you yourself have had children who could scarcely be called human. I'm sorry to be so blunt. Why did you send for me, Mr. President? Doctor, suppose I gave you an opportunity to do something extremely practical. Such as? A chance to prevent the destruction of our world, which took place 30 years ago. To prevent what has happened? To stop an atomic war? Yes. Would you do it? I'd sell my soul to the devil, Mr. President. You mean that? Yes. Doctor, what would you say was the most important scientific discovery of the 20th century? Hmm, I suppose Einstein's equation. E equals mc squared. Exactly. This formula unlocked the atom. Without it, there would have been no atomic energy. And consequently, no bomb. No war. The formula did not cause the war, Mr. President. Nor did the man who discovered it. He was one of the finest human beings who ever lived. A man utterly dedicated to the pursuit of peace and harmony. Yes, exactly. That is what will make your task so abhorrent, Doctor. What is this task, Mr. President? Quite simply, it is the murder of Albert Einstein. Are you insane? Perhaps. Only history will record that. But how in the name of heaven Albert Einstein died in 1956? I am well aware of that. In order to commit this murder, Doctor, you will have to travel back in time. Travel back? You mean that... I mean that our scientists have succeeded in their experiments. Parachronon penetration has been achieved. It's fantastic. Yes, so were atomic energy and rockets to the moon and radio waves long before both of those. You're actually suggesting that I return to the early 20th century to commit a murder? Yes. But why Einstein? Why not the men who took his contributions and twisted them into ghastly and human weapons? Why not them? Because others would replace them. There are many minds so filled with contempt for their own lives that they would be willing to destroy others, so warped with hate that they might even enjoy the job. No. No, it must be Einstein. Well, then why me? Why not select some murderer, some fiend? Because you are a man of the highest morality. This task must not be performed by some twisted monster. It must be done by a man of integrity who fully realizes his responsibility. To do otherwise would be to degrade ourselves and our victim. Come here, to the window. Do you see that covered barge lying in the East River? Yes. That barge is the finest laboratory we could assemble. Inside it is the mechanism for complete K-mison penetration, maintaining a stable configuration. In effect, it is a floating time machine. 
You've tested it? It was tested last week. Professor Milton Waxman went back 40 years in time and returned. We cannot afford another test because our energy sources are limited. Will Waxman accompany me? Yes. He and one other. Well, doctor, what is your answer? All right. I'll do it. That afternoon, I was taken aboard the barge in the East River. I was left alone in the laboratory to wait for Waxman, the physicist who knew how to operate the chronosphere. Waxman, I, um... Oh, who is this? His name is John. John, this is Dr. Charles Moran. I know the doctor. I don't believe we've met. In my business, I have to know a lot of people I've never met. John is security. I see. He's going with us. To see there's no mistake. That's right, doctor. Very well. I don't suppose murderers can be choosy about their companions. Uh, before we go any further, here are some clothes that will be suitable to the time and place which is our destination. Uh, please put them on, Doctor. While you're changing, I'll give you some background on the uh, subject. Born on Germany, 1879. German citizen, religion Jewish. Became a Swiss citizen after graduation from Zurich Polytechnical Institution. Later migrated to the United States after Adolf Hitler came to power with a price set on his head by the Nazis. Nobel Prize for Physics, 1921. Copley Medal, 1925. Franklin, 1935. Personal Habits... Must we do this? Uh, he's only doing his job. Go on, John. Personal Habits. Works in a bare room with only a pencil and paper. Enjoys sailing, smokes a pipe, never drinks, is a violinist of consultability... All right, all right, I'm ready. Good. Now just strap yourself into the accelerator seat. Ready? Switch on. The sensation will be something akin to weightlessness. A disorientation and feeling of utter detachment. This will last until we have settled into a new orbital configuration. We will be able to monitor our time segment on the screen before us. May I ask our objective? Yes. The Polytechnical Zurich Graduation ceremony in the year 1900. So young. He was already formulating the theory of relativity at this point, Doctor. We have no choice. It must be clean and thorough. Are you ready, gentlemen? Yes. Ready, Professor. Hold on. We will begin to whirl until we reach speeds where K-Mason penetration is possible. Now. The sensation was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. I felt bodiless, weightless. My consciousness seemed to float free. I was dimly aware of Waxman at the monitoring controls, but otherwise I remember no sensation. Later he told me that it took exactly one half hour to vector in on the right time and place. That was right after the whirling stopped. Marin, are you all right? Yes, 
Yes, I think so. John, I'm all right. Where are we? Well, according to the monitor, our barge is at a dockside on the Lake of Zurich. The year should be 1900. The time is 2 o'clock. We have exactly one hour to accomplish our mission. Open the hatchway, John. Well? Fantastic. A different world. We can't waste any time. The graduation ceremony is at three. Now, let's go. Very well. Just a moment, gentlemen. Here, take these. What are they? Guns. We'll need them. We stepped ashore. It was strange to see the world green and happy again after our red radioactive ruins. Eventually, we located a policeman who spoke some English. He directed us to the auditorium of the Zurich Polytechnical Institute where the graduation ceremony was in progress. Don't attract much attention. Take a seat in the rear. But now, it gives me great pleasure to present the diplomas of graduation to the members of the graduating class of the Zurich Polytechnic Institute. First, Mr. Hans Kindler, cum laude. Do you see him, John? Not yet. Next, Mr. Fritz we will have to Fritz wait Sander. until they call him to the platform. Mr. Heinrich Weiss, Benedictor. Are you ready? Maren, you're the one who must do this. Are you ready? What? Oh, yes. Yes, I am. I'm ready. Mr. Albert Einstein. That's him. Maren, shoot. Shoot. I... I can't do it. I can't. Give me that gun. Come on. We've got to get out of Dodge. Now hurry. suppose it will be like. What? Our world, the one we left. Without atomic fission, I mean. We'll soon know. Well, one thing is for sure. There'll be no mass destruction. The people will be there. And the people. Good Lord, there'll be billions of them. And the trees, the green shrubs, and the beautiful tall buildings. Ah, he looked very young. We're vectoring in on our year. Now hang on when I start the negative penetration. Brace yourselves. According to calculations, we should be back in the East River on the same day we left. The world will be as it would have been if Einstein had never existed. Open the hatch, John. Look at that. The city. New York is whole again. No ruins, no rubble. Those buildings are magnificent. Look at the trees in the parks. Marin, we've done it. It was worth it. We've done it. Yes. We've done it. Suddenly from nowhere, an official boat. A police boat. Suspicious of the barge and our parachronin penetration equipment, we were arrested by federal agents. The barge and our time machines confiscated. We were drugged, tortured, questioned interminably. It went on for what seemed like days and weeks. 
Finally, when they decided that they had had every shred of information we possessed, we were taken before a huge, beetle-browed man who seemed to be a combination scientist and civil authority. Sit him down. Well, Dr. Marin, we seem to have exhausted the possibilities. Tell me, is there anything you and your companions wish to tell me before you're disposed of? Disposed of? A euphemism for murdered. Murdered? Why, what have we done? You haven't done anything yet. But you have a thorough knowledge of nuclear physics, fission reaction, hydrogen bombs, etc. Lord, you mean you have the knowledge we tried to keep from you? You got it from us ourselves? Don't flatter yourself, Doctor. We've known the principles of nuclear reaction ever since Cretchwood. Cretchwood? The Brazilian scientist. Discoverer of the equation E equals MC squared. I see. Then... Well, why are you going to destroy us? Because, my friend, you're too dangerous. You know too much. Information could leak to our enemies. Important principles. Enemies? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I forgot. You have no knowledge of contemporary affairs. Beneath this building, deep in the earth, there is a thorium pile going. Thorium? U-235? Would be better, yes. Our scientists are working that out. The problem of separation and so on. It's a highly secret project, naturally. We call it only by the name Manhattan Project. Manhattan? Oh, no, it couldn't be. It's too coincidental. Yet I see it's true. You're going through exactly the same steps. In a year, you'll have an atom bomb. Then soon after, a hydrogen bomb. Then intercontinental missiles, and then... You seem to have great powers of prophecy, as well as great scientific knowledge. My friend, did you ever hear of a man named Einstein? Albert Einstein? Einstein? No. I never heard of him. Then the futility of it struck me. The futility of trying to place the guilt of all of us on any one man. The futility of trying to do something worthwhile by evil means. And finally, the futility of trying to murder an idea. As they led me to the execution cell, where I now wait, the words of a man whose books were destroyed in the war rang in my brain. The fault, dear Brutus, lies not with our stars, but with ourselves. Fred Collins again. I'll have another word about X-1 in just a moment. You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features Kill Me With Kindness by Richard Wilson. What would you do if you found yourself in a place where your every whim was granted? Don't worry. You wouldn't be the first to spoil Utopia by attempting to improve it. Galaxy Magazine... On your newsstand today. Tonight, X-1 has brought you Target One. A story from the pages of Galaxy written by Frederick Pohl and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in our cast were Joseph Bell as Dr. Marin, Frank Silvera as President Malkov, Dean Almquist as Professor Voxman, Al Collins as John, Guy Rep as the official with Charles Webster. 
This is Fred Collins speaking. X-1 was directed by George Boutsas and is an NBC Radio Network production. Today we have author and game designer Ernie Lawrence Jr. The Heroes Guild is both a book series and a tabletop role-playing game, which is being developed now, complete with its own rule set and system, by Ernie Lawrence Jr. In other words, when you play Heroes Guild, you don't use rules from another brand of RPG. Heroes Guild has its own. So let's clear the air first. There are those out there, some frown on games or movies that reference the use of their own fictional magic. Some are against any tabletop roleplay, magic or not. There are always the stories you hear of someone taking the game too seriously and being so involved as to be confused or just lose track of their lives due to over-involvement. Why don't you go ahead and address those concerns? Well, my first answer to that is going to be with anything that we come up with or use uh, in this life, we have to do so with responsibility and discernment. Um, you know, you look back at the time of the, the 80s and the so-called satanic panic where everybody was looking at Dungeons and Dragons as Satan's game. It's uh, kind of silly now looking back at it People just didn't understand it. Um, if there's any of that even left these days, um, maybe there's some groups out there that are, are still looking at it that way. They, uh, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a Romans 14 thing, honestly. Uh, you don't push it off on them. You don't uh, try to force them to partake in, a, uh, partake in it. You don't uh, make a big deal about it around them. You... Uh, accept them where they're at, and then if they ask you about it with the uh, fruits of the Spirit, you explain it to them as uh, succinctly as you can. It's just interactive storytelling. And to give some examples, if they accept that, fine. If they don't, fine. Um, but there's no reason to make it an issue. If we, if we look at people who get too into it, they use it irresponsibly. You know, any, anything can be an idol uh, in that sense. And uh, if it overcomes us in such a way, uh, whether it's football or the TV show or going fishing or, you know, any number of things, then hopefully we have some brothers and sisters in Christ who will uh, uh, pull us back from that, who will help us to see that that's what we're doing and pull us back. But... Beyond that, you know, I, I can't find any uh, logical reason to look at playing uh, tabletop role-playing or anything like that and say, uh, you know, that it's inherently evil. Um, as far as the, the supernatural aspect of it, um, again, I think that has to do with more how it's presented. Um, we see supernatural things in the Bible itself. Uh, so uh, if we recognize that uh, God is the one who created everything and everything is uh, according to his will, uh, the laws of nature and whatever, and then 
we talk about uh, a separate uh, set of laws, maybe in another universe, like what the Heroes Guild does, then uh, you know we can imagine things. We see people like uh, J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis and some of these guys who bring the idea of the supernatural into their stories, um, but they give the credit to God um, for where that power comes from. And we do the same thing in the Heroes Guild. Um, I would say that if you look at uh, sorcery and witchcraft in the Bible, the condemnation of those things that people will always go to when they talk about video games or tabletop games or, or other things like that where we where we bring in the supernatural, the the things that really wow us and, and make us interested in playing. The reason that those things were condemned was because uh, the people who practiced those things did so as a worship of false gods, of um, sticks and stones, beings that weren't really beings, they weren't true and living beings. Uh, you know, Yahweh identifies himself as the one true and living God, and in so doing, uh, demonstrates that all of those other potential gods that people worshipped were just fakes. And uh, so the people who were practicing sorcery and witchcraft were doing so out of idolatry. And that, of course, is something that God uh, is absolutely against. Those who are telling stories with supernatural events in them and calling it magic or whatever, um, those aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves. It's, you know, where, where does the magic come from? Where does the supernatural come from? And that's why in the Heroes Guild, we're very, very careful to uh, ultimately point to uh, Yahweh as the creator. Um, and I'll kind of talk a little bit about the Heroes Guild lore. Uh, there's the Septiverse, the seven uh, verses that um, the characters in all of my stories and throughout the games uh, play in or, or act in. And in some of those, you have different sets of laws that govern the verse. In the universe of law, for instance, uh, you have the, the laws of physics, you have the planet Earth, you have um, more of a science fiction feel to the storytelling there, and then you have the universe of chaos, where um, the law of conservation of energy is not gone, but kind of loosened a little bit, and so people have access to uh, shaping energy and, and drawing on energy uh, that God has given them to do in that universe and, and allowing them to do what we would perceive as magic. Um, I even have a series of novels that are written. They're not, they're not published yet, but um, it's a trilogy called The Science of Magic. And it goes through and it talks about more of an underlying physics behind what it would take for magic to work from a physics standpoint. And it shows that, you know, that, that ultimately a system like that where magic really did work or, or what appeared to be magic would really did work would come from God as, as the creator of everything. So 
Honestly, it's just a matter of how you frame it, how you perceive it, and your conscience. And I would, I would suggest to anybody who had an, a conscience issue with these things, don't, don't play them. Don't be involved in these things because to violate your conscience is wrong. And, um, you know, uh, take some time to study it. Ask somebody who uh, does participate in these things, but who uh, you would consider to be uh, a strong believer and uh, get them to explain to you, you know, why, why are you able to participate in these kinds of things? And, you know, still you look like you have a strong faith. You live uh, in a, a living faith with, with Christ, and yet you participate in these things. How is that possible? So um, that would be my advice on that particular question. Do you have any advice to help us avoid the pitfalls of playing these types of games the wrong way? Again, with anything that you play, uh, whether it be sports or these more geeky types of games, video games, um, watching movies, it uh, doesn't matter what it is. But, you know, in this particular, what I would say is um, discipline discernment uh, make sure that you have uh, friends that you're playing with that uh, can keep you from getting too far into it take breaks um, you know go go be part of the real world uh, we just moved here recently and found this entire wooded area out back behind our neighborhood and um uh, my kids and I are looking forward to exploring it. It's it's pretty large, so it's going to be a lot of exploring. You know, uh, step out from behind the table and the dice for a time, and just make sure that, like anything, it isn't becoming so consuming of your life that you can't think of anything else, that you can't do anything else. So, um, I mean, that would be that would be my advice related to to that kind of thing. If in the gameplay you are not playing in our universe, does the one true God ever get any mention? So, um, as far as the the Septiverse, the Heroes Guild lore, um, the Heroes Guild lore is based on the premise that uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to say his name, uh, is indeed the one true and living God, that he is the creator of all that exists other than himself. He gets mentioned in my novels. Um, he is... There is an underlying premise in some of the games. Um, I would say that there will be some lore and some modules that will be more oriented towards... Um, a, a, a Christian audience, so to speak. Um, and so he's going to be more pronounced in, in that uh, setting. There's going to be others that are more for general audiences, and um, we don't really want to, to force our faith on them. We don't want to, you know, browbeat them. That's not the way to, to gain people to Christ. And so when we 
when we publish most of our material, uh, we operate with the truth of Yahweh being the creator at all times. Um, sometimes that means he's there at the forefront and we see angels and we see demons and we see people throwing things back and forth in terms of conversation about, well, you know, if God really exists, then how does this happen? And, you know, we tackle some of those tougher questions. Um, and sometimes he is more uh, implied, more of a, uh, a background thing, uh, as some worlds don't really know much about him or, um, you know, in our own game, he's there as the creator and there are people who worship him. Um, there are sanctuaries all over because it's a monotheistic world, but they don't, they don't come out and say Yahweh. Um, he hasn't revealed himself to Arxis Prime, uh, as a, uh, a personal deity in the same way that he revealed himself to uh, Moses. Uh, so uh, he, he hasn't revealed himself in the way that uh, Jesus came down and lived among us. And um, of course we have to balance the idea of we're playing a game and we want to be respectful of our creator um, without just turning him into some kind of game mechanic. Uh, but we also want to show respect to him by uh, incorporating him into the idea of this multi-universal uh, stage that we've created uh, where all of these stories are taking place. We want him to have the ultimate uh, I guess uh, the nod to him as the ultimate uh, creator of all of this. And so um, he's there. It's just how much does a player want to be involved with that? Um, that's not to say that we don't have uh, pantheons or um, quote unquote other gods. Um, when you look at like Dungeons and Dragons or uh, Pathfinder or some of these other fantasy settings, you know, they have their pantheons. We address that. We deal with that. Um, in fact, my, my novels, the islands of lore series that I do have published, except for the last book, um, delves into kind of the way that we deal with, with the idea of these really powerful living beings that aren't God. How, how, how does my lore, how does my system deal with those kinds of things? And the reality is, is they're just really powerful beings. And um, in that sense, you know, there's, you, you hear the, the phrase, there's always somebody bigger, there's always a bigger fish. And so we address that in, in the novels. And in the same way, our uh, lore addresses that most of the time, the uh, pantheons are not gods. Uh, they're not referred to as gods, I should say. Um, they're just referred to as immortals. Um, or they might have their own name or their own group name or something along those lines. If they refer to themselves 
as gods and accept worship, then they run the risk of meeting up with um, this one major character that is woven throughout all of our lore um, that is called the Godslayer. And he is the Godslayer because that's what he does, is he will seek out these immortal creatures and say, you have a choice. You can either um, stop accepting worship and start serving these people that you're um, lording it over, or you can uh, you can face me. He's stronger than every single one of them, but he never claims to be a god, and he claims to serve the one true living God. And so uh, we deal with we deal with that kind of thing as well. Do you ever use your stories to teach something? If- sure, every story teaches something. Um, do I set out to? try to teach a specific lesson in my stories. No. Um, I mean, I'm a teacher by trade and I've taught physics for 15 years. Um, and I would imagine that naturally things are going to come out through the lore that we present in our modules and that we present in, in my novels and other people's novels. When we start publishing those where, um, something of our beliefs about anything. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some economic beliefs that I uh, tossed into the lore, the, the lore books, um, the Islands of Lore books, I should say, um, that um, people are going to pick up on. But I'm not setting out to intentionally teach something. And the reason for that is... Um, Part of what the Heroes Guild is trying to do, the the company, the Heroes Guild Publications, is trying to do is we want to provide entertainment. Our our goal is to get away from the uh, drama of all of the social back and forth that's going on in our nation and in our world right now that is really kind of ruining a lot of the entertainment industry. And if we get in there and we try to, uh, to preach, to teach, to, to impose our beliefs into, uh, the system in in an active way, then we move away from entertaining and we're moving more towards a uh, kind of a propaganda or a, um, you know, we get into that social drama, and we just don't really want to do that. We, we want to provide worlds that are entertaining. We want to provide uh, a system that is uh, functionally fun and uh, gives you the ability to build any character, any world that you can imagine without the limitations of other systems. Um, so we don't, we don't intend to teach anything. Having said that, I just got finished talking about, you know, is God part of our stories? Yes. But having him part of our stories is not there to force that belief on other people. And those who want to play our modules don't have to buy the ones that are obviously going to be geared towards believers. So um, there will be plenty of modules out there that 
uh, shy away from any kind of, of active teaching or preaching. Um, I will say this, um, that in terms of good and evil, those are very clearly delineated and they're, they're delineated, delineated along biblical teachings. So murder is wrong. There's, there's none of this gray area or, um, trying to make bad guys, um, look, uh, more acceptable or appealing. Um, I heard there's a pretty popular game series that's trying to do that with its fourth iteration. Um, we're trying to stay away from anti-heroes. Um, we're trying to stay away from, you know, uh, gritty types of heroes that have to do quote unquote bad things just to accomplish what they're, you know, we stay away from the, this idea of the greater good. There's good and there's evil. And I think these are themes that, that Tolkien and Lewis and um, the older writers, the writers that I grew up on, Terry Brooks and uh, Lloyd Alexander and uh, some of those guys, where, where those were well-defined. And if you were a hero and you crossed the line to do bad, even if you were trying to accomplish good, um, then those around you, they would, the, the characters around you that saw that would be like, that's, that's not right. And they would, they would chastise you for it or they would, they would try to bring you back. Um, I, I'm reminded of the scene of, of Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings where Frodo offers him the ring and he says, you can't offer me this ring. I would, I would use it. I would wield it intending to do good, but through me, it would work great evil. We cannot use um, evil means to accomplish good. And so in that sense, in, in the sense that we clearly define those two things and, and uh, our characters and our stories really highlight those things and we stay away from this idea of gray morality, um, that is also something that is uh, an active choice that we're making. So I guess you could say that, that in that we're teaching something, but uh, we're not setting out to do that. We're setting out to entertain. That is the, the primary purpose of, of what we're doing with our company. So, Is this your full-time job? If not, what do you do? If it is, how are you faring? Um, it, it's not my full-time job. I would like for it to be I'm heading that direction with uh, every spare moment and every bit of effort that I can uh, do to get to that point. Um, but right now I am a certified uh, high school physics teacher, certified in math. Um, I am uh, not in the classroom anymore. I teach for a company called Elevate K through 12. And uh, it's great because it's, it's online teaching. I get to stay home with my kids. Uh, I don't have to worry about a 30 minute drive. Um, <clears throat> So there's a, there's a lot of perks to that. Um, there's some downsides too. Uh, it's contract work, so I don't have summer pay. I've got to find time to, to do that right now. I'm, I'm doing Uber Eats deliveries and whatnot. So, um, but we're making it. Um, we're we're uh, trusting in God that he'll provide the, the necessities of life as, as long as we're uh, focused on him. 
I'm not where I want to be, but I do have those goals set in mind. I have a great group of friends, a great team. Uh, my brothers are very supportive. My parents are very supportive. And uh, as we take steps towards uh, getting this company funded and heading in the right direction, then, uh, you know, we uh, get better and better every day. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about the future of the company and the future of this product and, and all of our products and uh, kind of getting out there and, and uh, getting entertainment back to something that people can trust uh, as wholesome, um, trust as fun, and not worry about all of this uh, social drama that we see everywhere all the time. So, How many books have you written? I have written, at this point, 47 and a half novels. Um, I started writing around the sixth grade, finished my first quote-unquote novel when I was a senior, and um, when I wrote, I wrote in a pattern of a prologue, 15 chapters in an epilogue, because I thought that's what I was supposed to do, and my chapters were as long as I wanted them to be. So uh, I didn't realize what I was doing because I was a kid. And as I uh, went back later and, you know, did word counts and, and learned more about the craft, uh, that first book was over 300,000 words. And so what I'd actually done was written three books. And then uh, when I was in college, I wrote prolifically. It was my... Uh, uh, catharsis. It was my therapy. Um, and so I just wrote all the time. And, uh, that was, that was the one thing I enjoyed doing more than anything else still do. And, uh, wrote all of those books, never had thoughts about publishing. And then my wife, uh, when, when I got married, she was like, you have written how many books? And she was the one that encouraged me to move more towards uh, the publishing side of things. I took some classes uh, for writing and editing and, and self-publishing and things like that. And then um, started polishing. And my last books that I wrote, the Islands of War series, uh, were the first ones that I published. It's a very slow process for me between kids and work and marriage and all of that. So um, I'm not a very fast publisher. Um, and I'm not a very fast polisher either. I'll, I'll tell you that. But um, you know, one day I'll get them all out there. So the stories that come up as a result of gameplay can be quite interesting. Have those ever shown up in your books? Uh, well, thanks. Thanks for saying so. I'm, I'm glad you find them interesting. Um, the bits and pieces that you've seen so far. Uh, I am drawing a little bit from that uh, iceberg worth of knowledge. You know, you, you hear the, uh, what was it, Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway, sorry, Ernest Hemingway that said that, uh, you know, what the reader sees is the 10% of the iceberg on the top, and then there's 90% below. Uh, anyway, whoever, whoever said that, um, you're seeing a little bit of the down below part as we play. Um, as I'm running the campaign for us, uh, I draw a little bit more on the lore than what the modules strictly have. Of course, in the game that we're playing right now, uh, 
the the module was only three chapters long, and it had its its beginning, its middle, and its end, and it was over. But everybody's enjoying the game so far. So that's chapter four was definitely an expansion into the the lore of Arxis Prime and and all that's going on there. Um, and right now in chapter five, everybody has the opportunity to kind of uh, dig in with their character and develop their character more. Um, so we're seeing uh, some of the, the characters moving forward with the mechanics and, and growing their character. And then there are some who uh, probably you haven't seen too much because it's in private channels, but they're digging more into the lore of Arxis Prime. And there's a number of threads, story threads, that I'm kind of dangling out there to see which one you all choose to follow first. Um, and the possibility is following all of them eventually. Uh, but, uh, sure, uh, the game lore, the materials that I've got written for other modules, uh, yeah, these, these definitely, the books uh, are aligning with those. Um, and, of course, I've got other books planned to write as well, and, and those are going to be aligned with the game system as well. Uh, not not necessarily a, in a lit RPG kind of way, although I might do one or two of those just because they're fun. I love them, um, but more in the in the sense of terminology and lore and those kinds of things. So, thanks for coming on the show today, Ernie. Where can we find you on the web when we want to learn more? Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate that uh, and, and getting a chance to talk about. Uh, the company and some of our products and uh, our philosophy, where we're going and, and those kinds of things. Um, the website is www.theheroesguild.com. And uh, remember, it's possessive, not plural. So when you spell the word heroes, it's H-E-R-O-S. There's no second E in there. So T-H-E-H-E-R-O-S-G-U-I-L-D. Dot com, and uh, we have there uh, the the first three novels, and we also have our uh, first product, which is kind of an introductory module called the Journey Begins, uh, fully fleshed out module, and in that module has a, a basic set of the rules, a basic set of the mechanics, so that you can fully play the game and experience how the mechanics work without having the player's handbook out there. The player's handbook. Um, right now we don't have the funding for the art yet, even though it's ready to go and the player's handbook is completely uh, developed, tested, and ready to be uh, uh, printed. We just don't have any art yet. But um, as more products roll out, um, you'll be able to go there and uh, find those on the product page. There's also uh, ways that you can uh, connect with us on Discord or Facebook or uh, other social media there as well. So, uh, again, appreciate you having me on. Fiction is amazing. It has the ability to place you in different locations and see behind different eyes and from different perspectives. It can even teach us valuable lessons about life. However, fiction is no end-all be-all. That's why every episode we like to bring you a non-fiction item for you to consider. Today's non-fiction is, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It's a book by Frank Turek and Norm Geisler. 
and it is worth its weight in gold and highly recommended by me. It's a book that will get you thinking, and it's a deep dive into the evidence for Christianity. So don't leave your brain at the door. This is not one of these books where you can just read it, you know, really fast through and get everything that they have to offer. You've got to do some thinking. You've got, as you're reading it, it's going to make sense. But there's going to be some bigger words. So just, it is definitely a recommendation. It's something that you you should read. But don't rush yourself. Take your time, read it, get everything it has to offer. You can find this book in several spots, but the easiest way may be to go to crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D, dot org where you'll also find a podcast under the same name that's just as good. The podcast is free. As promised, here's Andrew Rappaport with the answer to a very important question. Why does Jesus have to be God? Here's the question. Why did Jesus Christ have to be God? That's an essential thing of Christianity. It's what makes Christianity different than every world religion. This is why it's essential. Every single one of us have violated God's law. God says that all liars will have their place in the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, which is called the second death. There's only one of two ways to pay an eternal fine. We can pay it for all of eternity, or an eternal God can pay it once in time and have it count for all eternity. Why? Because he's an eternal being. It's because he's eternal that that consequence that he paid counts for eternity. Otherwise, me personally, I don't even know how many lies I've told. So for me to pay for my first one, I'll never finish paying the first one to pay the second one. That's one of the reasons why I can't pay it for someone else. Maybe one of you would be a perfect person and never violate God's law. And you'd say, well, hey, I'm perfect. But you would only be able to pay for one other person's penalty in time because we're not an eternal being. God being an eternal being can pay an eternal fine that would count for all of time. That's why Jesus Christ had to be God, but he couldn't be just God. He also had to be like you and I. He had to be a man. We can't go to a judge in a human court and say, Your Honor, I know I got six months in prison. My poodle will do my, do my jail time. The judge is going to go, it doesn't work that way. But one of us can pay a fine for someone else. But we have to be human. Jesus Christ was God Almighty, became a man for one purpose. He did that so that he could die in our place. Being God, he could pay an eternal fine. Being a man, he could pay for you and I. That is why we can have salvation. That's what makes Christianity different than any world religion. Because every other world religion is based on works that we would do. But our works will work against us. God will actually judge us by a book. And the name of that book is the book of works. There's two books that God has in heaven. The book of the Lamb's, the Lamb's book of life and the book of works. Our name is in one of those two books. Either we have been forgiven by God because he's made the payment of sin for us and our name is in the Lamb's book of life or our name is in the book of works and it's those very works that we're going to be judged by. We often think our works are going to count for good. But here's a way of thinking of it. If you had a father 
who takes his son fishing. And his father says to him, hey, I don't want you to go to the lower part of the jetty because it's dangerous down there. But the son, being a typical son, doesn't believe dad. He says, you know what? I really want to get some fish for dinner. I want to be able to provide for my family. I'm going to go to the lower part of the jetty. When he gets down there, an alligator whips his tail up, knocks the kid in the water. The kid doesn't know how to swim all that well. Dad dies in the water. He grabs the son. He starts swimming up to shore. And all of a sudden, the alligator rips both the father's legs off. But with all of the father's energy, with everything he has left, as he's sitting there bleeding, he grabs his son to shore. And his son says, hey, thanks, Dad, but I really want to make sure I have some fish for dinner. I'm going to go back to the jetty. That would be disrespectful. Why? Because the father just gave his life to save the son. And the son's saying, but look at the works I'm doing. That's what we're like when we stand before God and say, but God, look at my works. I know you're God Almighty. And it took your death to pay the punishment for us. But in doing that, we sit there and say we want to add our works to it. We diminish what he has done. That's why Jesus Christ said to be both God and man. Thank you for listening to Life Truth Presents. Everything that we've mentioned, every guest that we've mentioned, you can find more information about those in the show notes. Nathan Caldwell, that's me, can be heard, can be found at lifetruth.com or can be found at life-truth.com and is also a writer and reviewer for Clean Fiction Magazine, which can be found at cleanfictionmagazine.com.